0: Good morning, church. Happy Palm Sunday. It doesn't really feel like it, does it? doesn't feel like Palm Sunday. doesn't feel very happy. Another month of this confinement we're in. Maybe for the first time we saw that one coming. I'm sure it won't quite feel like Easter next Sunday either. And yet all the more reason to celebrate Easter, because Jesus has risen from the dead. If death has no sting, what then do we have to fear? Yes, true, we'll be celebrating differently this year, but that doesn't mean we won't be celebrating. If you're on our email newsletter, then you should have already been aware of a number of these opportunities we have to connect this week. Uh, More on our website, uhchurch.org, or better yet, you can pause this right now, email info at uhchurch.org and request to be added to our email list. That'll be the best way to stay connected in this time where it's easy to feel disconnected. So this coming week, Center Prayer continues Wednesday at noon, the center of the week, the center of the day. Thank you to all who have been joining us. It's been great to see you via Zoom and to pray with you. Continue to pray wherever you are, even if you can't connect with us in that format. The invitation has been sent and will continue to stay the same for the next number of weeks. There's two special All Alliance Family Services this week that we can connect across the nation together. Again, digitally, uh, you can find info on on their website, cmalliance.org, uh, or a link that has been sent in our newsletter. So that's a Thursday night prayer service, Maundy Thursday, and a Good Friday service with worship and teaching and hopefully great encouragement. Easter Sunday at UHC. Uh, we're planning to go live, kind of, uh, to pre record, but to go live at 10.30 on Easter Sunday morning. We'll send you the link, for how to sign into that, we, we want to see as, as many of you as possible connecting, saying hi, being encouraged one to another. After all, Scripture does tell us to not give up meeting together, and that's a challenge in this season, but we're doing our best. So I hope you can connect, mark your calendars, 1030 next Easter Sunday as you celebrate at home and hopefully with your family, you'll get to be together with your church family, at least in some way. Uh, another opportunity. Uh, this is kind of a new and last-minute call. A couple of my friends from my pastors' networks are championing this vision. Hashtag Jesus changed my life. The vision is for thousands, if not tens of thousands. Uh, started in in L.A. at Reality and has moved up the West Coast and maybe now across the country. They're hoping for tens of thousands uh, of you to broadcast this week the good news, the greatest news, how Jesus has changed. Your life in 60 seconds to 90 seconds and to sometime uh, throughout the week even today or anytime this week to post that on social media in some fashion if you're new to that or that's a stretch good uh, but you can do it if you have a phone or a camera and can connect to the internet which I think is most of us if you need help with that you can find more info on our links from the newsletter and on our web page and there's videos to help walk you through this When you post, put at UH Church, also include that if you do remember, obviously for the glory of Jesus, uh, but that might allow someone who sees you and knows you to connect and plug in uh, with our church. So there's lots of good news to share, incredible opportunities, even in the midst of these stormy times. So please be sharing that. You can do that in lots of ways. Uh, Use our Slack channel. More and more of you are getting connected with that and posting good news and prayer requests and Just updates in general. So let's have that two-way conversation as much as possible to encourage one another. Here's here's another way to bless. I I hope as you would share your own testimonies of just how God is at work and, and, and what you're seeing him doing, you would also maybe take time to think about sharing on behalf of somebody else. You know, sometimes it's hard to share what God might be doing in us. It might sound like holy bragging or maybe simply we just don't think it's worthy to be shared. Would you think about someone else's story, the way that they are loving and serving and blessing others that you've heard about, and share that on our Good News channel on Slack, just to be encouraging that God is at work. He is moving in the midst of these hard times. So in all these ways, stay connected. Do not grow weary. Be faithful. Remember, we love you. We miss you. We're praying for you. And we do hope to see you soon. So now today, don't just listen to the music and to the sermon, but participate with us. Please be a part of the body. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you so much that you are a God who is in control and that hasn't changed. Lord, give us peace. Allow us to rest in the midst of the storm that we are in, the winds that are blowing against us. Thank you for your word which reminds us of your goodness, your faithfulness, your sovereignty, your control, your love, and your pursuit of all peoples. As we turn to you today through song, through prayer, and by looking into your word, we pray that you would open up our hearts, open up our eyes to the work you want to do in us and then through us. Thank you that you meet us always, right where we are, and you love us too much to leave us there. You draw us out, You lead us on. You move us forward. Lord, we need you deeply. And we cry out to you in desperation today. But I pray that you would meet each one where they are with a special reminder of your love and your presence into their lives, into their place, into their moments. You're the only one that can do that. And I pray you would grow each one of our faith and our courage to take steps towards you and towards others in these coming days, all for your glory, Lord, and for our joy, we pray. Amen. Amen. Blessings, church.
1: Good morning, church family. Our scripture reading this morning is from Acts chapter 27, verses 13 through 26. So if you happen to have a pew Bible at home, you'll find it on page 936. Um, for those of you who have one. Uh, if not, then I'll just give you a moment to flip to Acts 27, starting in verse 13 um, for the next couple seconds. Just give you a moment to get there. All right. Now, when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete, close to the shore but soon a tempestuous wind called the northeaster struck down from the land and when the ship was caught and could not face the wind we gave way to it and were driven along running under the lee of a small island called cauda we managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat after hoisting it up they used supports to undergird the ship then fearing that they would run aground on the sirtis They lowered the gear, and thus they were driven along. Since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was then abandoned. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar and behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island.
0: Keep your Bibles open to Acts 27. How appropriate is this text for us right now? All of us should be able to feel it more acutely than we would have maybe a month ago. Even in Governor Inslee's address on Thursday evening, he said we were in the midst of a storm on a lifeboat drifting toward an island. Wow. Allow me now to paraphrase these verses from Acts 27 and hopefully contextualize them. A tempestuous wind is blowing. We were caught off guard by it. And now we can do nothing else but give way to it. So we've been driven along, trying to find shelter, maybe a small island of hope. And we managed with difficulty to secure ourselves for the remainder of the journey. Through the storm. We saw neither the sun nor the stars for many days. Sounds like spring in Seattle. But also the gloomy sense of our current circumstances. Paul and his shipmates feared for their lives. They wondered how long the storm would last and whether they would be delivered from it, but at what cost. All the goods they had loaded up for the journey, the things they thought they needed, which had given them a source of comfort and confidence, had to be cast aside. Yeah, we can feel this passage. I'm making the assumption that we are taking the humble posture of people desperate to hear from God. We are certainly a people in need of hope and encouragement, in need of an anchor in the midst of storm. We need courage and encouragement. Do we have any reason for it? Paul, what would you say to us? Verse 21, Man, you should have listened to me and not set sail for Crete and incurred this injury and loss. No, that's not encouraging. That's jabbing. But he's not wrong. Paul did warn them of the coming storm and the cost of arrogantly sailing right into it. For us, there were many voices, many warnings calling out months ago, certainly weeks ago. And so many in charge were slow to respond. Others were arrogant. Some were simply arrogant, ignorant, some both. And now at great cost to many. Paul, do you have anything else for us? Any encouragement? Thankfully, yes. He says, verse 22 and following. Now I urge you, take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid. Paul, you must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. Paul could have left these men in charge and all the sailors who were scrambling for their lives. After the verbal jab, I warned you, told you so. He could have crawled down into the hull of the ship with his arms crossed and his chin raised then he would have been no different than they were. Instead, we see Paul striving and serving right alongside those who are perishing. I find that incredibly convicting and encouraging. Side note, that's what God's word always does. It brings conviction where we see we are not in alignment with God's will and his word. But God's conviction always comes with encouragement because it's never too late to change course, to turn. Think of the man who hung on the cross next to Jesus and turned to him and put faith in him, even faith of a mustard seed. And Jesus declared that he would have eternal life. Incredible. That's the gospel at work. That's a clear and maybe clarifying picture of what repentance is, to turn to Jesus. What a gift, not condemnation. Primarily, we turn to Jesus at a heart level. Secondarily, we change actions if we are able it's the result of a changed heart, a changed life. And Jesus said, If you love me, you will obey my commandments. Here's why I'm convicted by Paul's example on the ship. And I wonder if you'll agree. See, Paul was certain that a shipwreck was coming. Verse 26 We must run aground. And yet, he was right there with the crew, doing everything he could to keep the shipwreck from happening. Verse 16 we managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. He was right there serving. They were doing everything they could, bringing in the sails, wrapping the hole with ropes or chains, pulling in lifeboats, dropping down anchors, casting off cargo and even supplies that they needed in order to lighten the load, doing whatever it took, giving their all, even though the shipwreck was coming. Do we serve like this? When the winds are against us, and how well do we do loving and serving those who, in many ways, did in fact get themselves into the mess they're in? Do we serve like Paul? Unless we're arrogant and absolutely ignorant of how many times we've gotten ourselves into huge messes, how could we not enter into the storms and crises in others' lives? For Jesus has come into ours. In fact, I would suggest that one of the best ways to endure this current storm that we find ourselves in is to serve others. Consider the fields that you're planted in. Now, if you're new to my preaching, you'll need to get used to this kind of language, planting, growing, bearing fruit, sowing seed, harvest. This kind of agrarian imagery and metaphors show up throughout scripture. So we've adopted it. It's our vision at Union Hill Church to become like a greenhouse, helping all peoples find new life in Jesus and grow to bear fruit for him. So we champion three primary values new shoots, new life in Christ, deep roots, deep and enriching and growing life in Jesus, and diverse fruit that the Holy Spirit will work in us to bless others. So consider the fields you're planted in, your neighborhood, your workplace, social circles, your church community, your school if you're a student. Who are the most like that ship in the storm, most at risk of falling apart, being broken by this storm. How can you wrap them with encouragement? Certainly through prayer. But Paul wasn't below deck praying. He was right there, shoulder to shoulder with those who feared for their lives. So along with your prayers, follow up with a phone call or a Zoom call or a text or a letter or all of the above. Give encouragement, serve, bless, look for those in need. Knowing that we too need encouragement and we're not alone. In the midst of storm. Perhaps a big part of finding that courage is doing what needs to be done. It may not end the storm or stop the shipwreck, but it may get us through. You know, as often has been said, courage isn't a lack or absence of fear. Courage is endurance and resiliency in the face of fear. But if we attempt to muster that up in ourselves out of some sheer force of will, it'll never be enough. Courage comes from another source. That's where Paul found his. God was with him. He knew it. Jesus had met him numerous times and given him encouragement. We remember in Acts 23, verse 11, where Paul was in prison awaiting trial, an unjust trial. The Lord stood by him and said, "'Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify in Rome.'" So Paul had been encouraged by Jesus that he would make it on to Rome, even when he must have doubted many times. I mean, imagine that, the 14 days being driven in the open sea, beaten by the storm, foodless and nearly sleepless. I'm sure Paul doubted everything he ever thought he knew. So Paul was reminded by God himself. God sent a messenger, his angel, to encourage him yet again. Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar And behold, God has granted you that all those who sail with you will be spared. Doesn't that sound like something Jesus would say? Remember when he walked out on the water, Matthew 14, and said to the disciples who thought he was a ghost, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. So many pictures of literal storms in people's lives and Jesus showing up in the midst with a call to courage and to faith and to not be afraid. Just because we have doubts does not mean we don't have faith. I love that prayer in Mark 9 by the Father in desperate need, responding to Jesus. Lord, I do believe, but help me with my unbelief. Isn't that a prayer we pray often, even in times like these? We only need faith like a mustard seed, Jesus says, to move a mountain, Matthew 17. Now, Paul must have been encouraged because to this point he knew that God had promised to protect him, but he didn't know about the rest who were with him. And remember, he had friends on that ship, Luke and Aristarchus, at at least. What does this mean for us? Have any of you been visited recently by an angel encouraging you that everything is going to be okay? If so, and I, I believe that's possible, don't keep that news to yourself. Please share that. But angel or no... We do know this. God is with us. He is in control. He can calm the winds and the waves with a word. That's always been true, and Jesus proved it. But sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes he allows the storm to rage, the shipwreck to come, and for great loss to occur. Consider Job. After he had everything in his life stripped from him, but his very life, he said this, Job 21, Naked I come from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Many of the prophets exclaimed, explained something similar. The prophet Habakkuk said, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. For God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. Tobacco 3, 17-19. We must rely on God's presence with us because he has promised it. Even when we can't feel him, we rely on his voice, his promises, his word. That's all Habakkuk had to go on. He said as much in chapter 3, verse 2, O Lord, I have heard the report of you, and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. That's a prayer I've often prayed for us, and I know many of you have prayed along with me. By all accounts, Habakkuk only had God's word. He didn't experience his active work, and yet he believed. So in times of storms, it sure helps to know that others have endured more, that we are not alone. In the middle of a storm, let us look to others who have survived shipwrecks. We can be encouraged by the faith and courage of others. Some have been through far more than we have and endured. Paul had been shipwrecked three times already at this point of his old hat. He said in 2 Corinthians 11, all the things that happened to him, including three previous shipwrecks, make it four. So Paul's experience and his confidence in God's word were enough to change the minds and actions of those in desperation. No, they didn't have much faith, but even a grain of faith can be enough. So even if your faith is like a mustard seed, itty bitty, take courage, you still have it. Time for honest assessment. How are you doing? Overwhelmed? Struggling? Anxious? Is your faith feeling weak right now? Small or non-existent? But if you have just but a grain of it left, good. Now, where are you planting that grain of faith? If you're not putting it in Jesus, you're putting it in something or someone else. And now's a good time to ask how is that working out? What's growing from that? What is the fruit in our life from where we are placing our faith? Maybe it's time to replant that seed. And then, if anything great grows from it, if any fruit is born in our lives, we can be truly amazed at God's goodness and He'll have all the glory. So, honest. Reflection, has God met you before and sustained you? Has he taken even hard things and done good? So why not now? Has he changed? And yet, what if these are your final days or mine? We should always live with that perspective. Life is fleeting. It's a mist, a vapor. But it seems we're more acutely aware of that now and that's not a bad thing so what if there is no tomorrow that was the reality for those 276 people on board that ship that was the reality for the man who hung on the cross next to jesus there was no more hope in this world for him i mentioned him earlier from luke 23 verse 42 and following hanging on a cross next to jesus he turned to him he repented and said jesus Remember me when you come into your kingdom. So he placed him as rightful king in his mind and in his heart. He knew he was his only hope. And Jesus turned to him and said, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. If you're listening to this and you've never turned to Jesus and put your trust in him, this has to be incredibly hopeful You don't have to have it all together before crying out to him. Save me, Lord. You don't have to have anything put together. It doesn't get much worse than being nailed to a cross, deserving death for your actions on earth. But this man knew it. And in that moment, he knew nothing else but Jesus as his only hope. If you are still clinging to things on earth to save you, then you're probably not ready to turn to Jesus. But if you finally realize there's nothing on earth that will save, nothing that guarantees a sure footing, then Jesus is ready. With arms outstretched, simply turn to him. The apostle Peter said in Acts 4.12, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Pray a prayer like this if you find yourself in this place today. Desperately needing hope, help, and healing. Jesus, I need you. You're my only hope. Forgive me for trusting in all other things. Help me to trust in you alone. That's a prayer we all need to pray. If you're praying that right now and you've never prayed like that before, would you do something would you pause and send me an email? I'll give you my personal email, ben at uhchurch.org. I would love to share a virtual cup of coffee with you. And if you've prayed like that a thousand times, we refresh that prayer right now. Would you pray that with me wherever you are? Jesus, we need you. You're our only hope. Forgive us for trusting in any other thing other than you and help us to trust in you alone. Amen. Love you, church. Miss you. Hope to see you soon. Now let's respond to God and his word in our lives as he leads.